Welcome to Avoid the Confusion, the podcast where we delve deep into the minds of top performers in their respective fields. I'm your host, Kenny Robinson, and each week my goal is to bring you inspiring guests who will share their stories and strategies for success. Here at Avoid the Confusion, we believe that mental toughness is the key to achieving your goals. We explore the power of not giving up. We showcase the many failures and obstacles that are part of the journey towards success. So join us on this weekly journey of discovery as we bring you stories that show we are all human and that success is achievable with the right mindset and strategies. Get ready to be inspired to be the best version of yourself and Buckle up and don't forget, this is Avoid the Confusion. Welcome back, everybody. I am blessed to be joined by Sam Kaufman this week on this episode. I've known Sam for a couple of years now. We've uh, coached together at WinRate Consulting. That's what Sam does uh, with the majority of his time these days. He also owns a remodeling company, On the Level, which has been very successful. I believe it's On the Level Construction, um, but On the Level is, is basically what I see everywhere, and it's a the logo I've I've come to know, and um, Sam's overall an amazing guy, devoted husband, father, man of God, and uh, someone that I uh, look up to immensely. He's been the one who's coached me one on one this year, and uh, we've made a lot of strides in our business. That's helped me tremendously. So when he said he was interested in coming on and sharing a story, I couldn't think of a better person to bring on and give that opportunity to. So. Without further ado, Sam, thanks, man, so much for joining this week. Tell us a little bit about how things have been going, man. What's up with you? Yeah, man. Hey, thank you for um, having me on. I uh, I am absolutely pumped to see your podcast launched, going, rolling, engaged. People seem like they're having a great time. You seem like you're having a great time. So this is really, really, really cool. Um, yeah, so what's been going on recently? Um, you know, short, short term, I just got back from a two-week European vacation with my wife. And for the last two weeks since getting back, it's been like, uh, you know, kids, we, we homeschool our kids, but uh, surprisingly enough, like kids being back in school, fall is still busy for kids. There's still extracurriculars with homeschooling and we've got events and holidays are coming and uh, TCC's coming and playing like a champ is coming. And um, so what's been going? It seems like everything's been going on, but I have no complaints. I made a post on Instagram on my story the other day. Um, I was laughing. I looked at my calendar and I was like, "Dude, if me twelve months ago looked at the next three weeks of my life right now, twelve months ago, I'd have quit. I, I'd have just been like, I'm done. I'd have I'd have had a panic attack. I'd have melted. I'd have eaten my face. I'd have quit." And I look at. It, I'm just laughing. I'm like, "Dude, I don't know how. I don't know how we." As like high performers, I don't even just know how we do it. So you just get so used to doing it. You look at it, I'm like, dude, I really, this is really my life. Like, this is wild. It's going to be a wild three weeks. So it really is. I, it was funny. I was talking to my son the other day, just kind of piggyback off that a little bit. So I have a, a 13 year old. He's fixing to turn 14. We've been working out every day. I pick him up at school. We go to the gym. It's about a two hour process, all the way down to sauna time, everything. He's been sticking in with me the entire time. And of all my kids, he's always been the least likely to get out and do something and go work out. He's the one that's more into video games, computers, and that kind of stuff. But we were talking, and uh, we were sitting in the sauna, and I made a comment about uh, meetings that I had during the day, a couple appointments I ran, making sure I got him on time so I could go home and finish out estimates, and I'd probably be done by about 8 or 9. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders. And he's like, man, there's no way I would do all of that. And I thought for a moment, like, I was like you said, it just becomes part of life. It just becomes normal. Like I don't even think about it. Like I don't even think 
that I'm doing anything outside of the ordinary. But I took the opportunity to quote one of my favorite lines from every movie. When he said that, I looked at him and shrugged my shoulders. I said, and that's why no one will remember your name. And uh, I could see see the look in his eyes. And I said, look, man, I'm not being that harsh. But for real, I said, in order to get ahead, I said, you know, right now, this moment in the day when we're sitting here in the sauna, I said, you feel all the sweat just pouring off of you. We just got through working out. And he said, yes, sir. I said, this is my favorite part of the day. This is the best I will feel all day long. And he said, why? And I said, because if you think about all the people around us, everybody who lives here, I said, how many people do you think live in this area? And he said, I don't know, 50,000. I said, probably more than that, but let's go with that number. I said, how many of them are in the gym today? How many of them are making themselves better? How many are striving to do something and be better today? And he said, probably not a lot. And I said, man, people are so easy to out outwork they're so easy to outwork and he was like yeah and i just try to take those moments and say things like that as much as i can because i hope some of that gets stuck in his dna and he just becomes a little workaholic but uh oh dude it, it it'll work i i constantly get little surprising reminders that our kids are watching what we're doing and that they don't care much for what we say like none of that is as important. I still, and I'll tell you, dude, I give speeches every day. Like what you get on podcast or coaching call or stage or privately, it's the same that I get to my kids. And like, you should, sometimes I, sometimes I'll be mid speech and I'll look at my family and be like, oh dude, they checked out. Like not, they're not even, they're one of them scrolling on their phone. The other one's like eating something. I don't even know who I'm talking to at this point. Yes. And so I constantly have to remind myself like the speeches as much as I love them, they don't hit the same as uh, as just like doing the thing, right? So like I've That's talked right. to my my kids about um, I'm a real I'm real big on and we have been for forever, but like I'm real big on trying to teach my kids to like eat well, exercise every day. Like exercise is a part of our homeschooling routine. Eating well, like Kylie's in a nutrition course. My 14 year old's in a nutrition course and her co op group. And the funny thing is like. Um, I don't think they have retained 1% of what I have shared with them about eating well. And, and the reason I do that is because I was a fat kid. I was fat as a kid. I was unhealthy. I was teased. I was bullied. And in adulthood, I had to learn how to do things that would have been nice to learn as a child. That would have saved me a lot of pain, a lot of health issues, a lot of addiction problems, a lot of food problems, a lot of weight issues. And so I try to teach this. But what I'm really, really, truly realizing, what's funny is like, this morning, for instance, I go downstairs. My son's having a um, we have like kid like he's having a, a protein shake, a cup of water and some pineapple. Mm-hmm. It's a great breakfast. But I didn't say anything to him this morning. He just saw that's a I do a fruit protein like the thing. This is what I say all the time. Like, hey, you need a healthy carb, natural sources and some protein, man. You do that. You'll be a OK. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything this morning. He just ate it because that's what he sees. But I swear to you, Kenny, if I went down there before he ate breakfast and I said, hey, fruit, protein, water, he'd have been like, oh, but I want cereal. I want. That's right. And what's funny is like, I'm so bad at keeping my damn mouth shut. I should just let them make decisions more often because sometimes they make a better decision when I just shut up. Versus when I go down there and try to control everything. A lot of times, I think when we show up trying to control everything, this is how it's going to be, then. A lot of times I think the kids will eat cereal just because it proved to me that I don't do. have control that's over what, anything. That's what kids do. That's right. Yeah. So you are without a doubt way better set an example, I believe, uh, than 
trying to tell them what to do. But at the same time, there are moments like in the gym when you can tell their interest is peaked or they see something in you or they're whatever the case may be. And I, and I, I, I'm like you, I try to sneak in a speech anytime I can. And I do, I do see that there are moments when they are a little more receptive, you know? So, yeah. so in my son being 14 and being in there working out with his dad, he's worked out the majority of his life. I'm decently, you know, strong. And so he, we, we get in there and, He's like in that moment, he wants to know every all everything that I have to say because he's trying to improve. So you he have to you have to pick your moments. You know, breakfast they're typically not looking for a speech at breakfast; they're looking for for cereal. But man, tell us a little bit about business these days. How are you know how's everything going? I know you made some adjustments. We talked about earlier in the year you were making some hard decisions, moving some moving some staff and stuff around. Uh, how how are things looking? Yeah. So, so things are looking good now. So like just to, I mean, I'll just dive into like blatant transparency because it doesn't bother mm-hmm. me at all, but um, you know, this year being 2023, in case you're listening to this in 2024, five, six, seven, or eight, this year being 2023 has probably been the single hardest small business year for a lot of people. I've been in business for like a decade. Um, and this is the first time, this is the first year in that decade um where things got radically different. Consumer spending changed at the same time that interest rates changed, at the same time that money came off the street, at the same time that marketing expenses increased, at the same... So like everything hit at the same time for everybody. And a lot of people, um, a lot of people have lost, not stumbled, not have lost. I've watched people that I care for deeply um, fold up and go out of business. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of 2023 for a lot of people right now, fold up and it go is. out of business. And the reason for that, from my perspective, for most of these people, has been um, they did not have, they either did not have the data necessary to make a decision proactively enough to save the business, or they did not have the skill set and courage necessary to make the decision with the data they had knowing the ship was going down, but refusing to dive in the in the hull and repair the hole, right? Because that's scary. That's right. Like scary to dive underwater when it's dark and cold and flooding and say, I'm gonna repair this hole one way or another. I don't know how, I don't know what tool, I don't know what what wood, I don't know what I'm gonna how I'm gonna do this. I've never repaired a hole in a hole before, but I'm gonna go down and do this now. And so this year for me was repairing a, a, a hole in a hole that I didn't would not have existed had the market not changed. And instead of using that as a cop out for not taking the steps to repair it, right? It's like we hit an, an iceberg. Like we did not know. We there was no way to know it was coming. There was really no way to see it under the water. There was, but we hit the iceberg. And so in the moment, um, and I'll just share the story because I do. I think it's a good story, and I'm not embarrassed about it. In fact, I think I've been able to help clients more because of this. But in Q2, um, I was at an event, speaking at an event, and uh, my wife, who runs our finance department, calls me and says, hey, I'm going to send you a copy of our P&L. I need you to take a look at this. I'm like, cool. So so for, for some context for everybody, like how I've been running my business for a while now is um, basically I like a very high leadership level. I run the leadership team. I was running the management team. I was getting financial reports. Things were kind of just rolling. We were growing, growing, growing. Things are great. As long as cash is constantly flooding in the door, it's it's hard to see the problem, right? Because you got cash, you fix it, you deploy it, you spend it, you move on. Very irresponsible, but it happens. 
So my wife calls, she's like, Hey, I need you to take a look at this. And I'm like, well, I'm at this event. This is my priority. Right. Cause I really, this year, 2023, I dove head first into coaching and consulting and speaking and launched the book and all that good stuff. And she was like, no, no, no. Like you act, you need to go take a look at this. Like, I appreciate the event. I, that's awesome. I need you to take five minutes. And she sends me this profit and loss statement that we've been running our business on a profit and loss statement. And this profit and loss statement is basically telling a story that we're not going to survive past Q2. The cash flow situation that had been that had happened was so bad at that point, we weren't going to make it. Had I, if I did not make some radical changes to our business model and our expense line items. So why? Right. This is important, um, not as an excuse, but because I think there are a lot of businesses still in this situation. We were growing 30, 40 percent a year, year over year for a long time. Then we had a 330 percent growth year. It was huge. A lot of people did. Once 2020 showed, I'm not going to use the infamous word because I don't want your content to get yeah. shadow banned on the Internet. <laughs> but once the 2020 situation showed up, 2021, 2022, these were massive growth years for a lot of small businesses. Money flooded the street. So having a 330% growth year for us was like, wow, this is amazing. But we had never had growth at that scale before. We didn't know how to handle that growth. We didn't know how to prepare for that. We didn't know how to cash flow that. We didn't know how to, how to create a debt schedule for that properly to handle. So we planned for 2023 to do that at 100%. So from 300% to grow 100% from that 300%. So we plan for a 100% year-over-year growth in 2023. Well, what does it take to do 100% year-over-year growth? Investments. So we started buying stuff, signing up for stuff. I was getting team members coached. I saw, I was doing this. I had content teams. I had the videographer. I had the vision was correct with the information I had when the vision was laid out. Okay? This is where a lot of people go wrong. The information changed, and it changed drastically from January to June, six months to 2023. And truthfully, if I'm being really truthful, the information changed by March, but I didn't want to accept it. The information really changed by April. I don't, not, not yet. I'm not willing to, right? Because we get egotistical, right? And we want to, I don't want to admit that my vision cannot come to fruition. Like we're told in this entrepreneurial space that like you don't quit and you work hard, you go after it. But well, dude, like, it's not quitting to adjust, right? That's not quitting. Right. Like that's just that's just making a new play. Coaches, could you imagine if coaches or professional sports teams were like, we're just gonna run this play over and over and over again until it works? Because I won't quit. That's right. You, you would like nobody would do that. They're gonna adjust. And so I get the call. Information had changed dramatically. There was no more ignoring the information. Um, and at that point, I told my wife on the phone, I said, look, I gotta, I gotta, there's nothing I can do from the event, um, but I'm going to come back. We're going to have a full day meeting, you and I, and we're going to figure out what we're going to do here. And, and truthfully, what had to happen was um, something to the tune of like $68,000 a month in expenses needed to be removed. Mm-hmm. And we did. And it required um, terminating a lot of employees, switching our business model to a primary subcontractor model so we could control the cash flow in and out of the business, as opposed to having a payroll as an overhead liability, which is what we were doing up to that point. And I had this whole vision. I wanted to build an interior remodel business that was primarily built on inside labor. That that was like my thing. The customer didn't want it. The team didn't care about it. 
It didn't matter at all. It did not set us apart in the market in any significant way. It was just this thing I decided five years ago, halfway into my business journey, I was going to do the market. Well, I was wrong. I was just wrong. Like, it's cool. Like, it was a great idea. It was just wrong. And I had to adjust. And um, we went through one of the most stressful, um, difficult seasons I've ever been in in my business, changing the business model, letting go of a ton of employees. And, and you know, the most unfortunate part about this, and most of them were wildly underperforming anyway. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to let go of what I was trying to accomplish. And so we let go of a ton of people. We nixed expenses. We pulled all like I, I was getting my employees coached. I'm getting coached. And, you know, like I do, coaching is not cheap. Like it's high level accountability and information. I had to remove them from co- all expenses. Basically, we made a list. The expense on our PL, did it produce revenue and profit directly? Yes. Great. It stays. If the answer was no, it had to be yep. eliminated the following week. And so we went through this list and what was disgusting was that the yes list was very short and simple. Mm-hmm. The amount of things inside your business that directly produce revenue and profit is just a few things. But the amount of things inside my business that like maybe would produce profit later, maybe was building brand, the amount of unquantifiable expenses. It was disgusting. Now, if we were going to grow 100%, would those things have been affordable? Sure. Does that mean it was a good decision? No, it doesn't. And what opened my eyes was like, growth or no growth, I really was growing beyond my current skill set to steward the company money properly. And as we were growing, I was just like throwing money at things to do new things, to try new things, to grow new things, to generate more leads, to blah, 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 blah. And what I learned is like, I would have been so much, it would have been so much smoother had I slowed down and just nailed one thing at a time. Even if that took six months or nine months or 12 months or whatever, I just wanted to throw it at everything. And so we nixed all of those expenses. It was very, very emotionally um, trying on our entire team, but we went from like 25 in-house employees and all these expenses down to like eight and a lot less expenses And it took us the entirety of the quarter, basically, to get Q2 into Q3. But we will have ended Q3 officially. Um, As bad as that P&L was, we will end Q3 at a net profit on the P&L again. And we are Mm -hmm. trending to have double-digit net profit growth quarter over quarter over quarter going into next year, which is amazing. That's exactly what we wanted to happen. And so that came fruition man i uh that's that's an amazing story we went through something very similar we were able to knock twenty three thousand dollars a month off of our run rate and un what i would say just like you unquantifiable unnecessary things that we were spending on not that they were bad or they just weren't necessary and they weren't creating direct results today and we could not we couldn't run that way and survive the year, I didn't think. So we we went through a lot of that uh, early on, June, May. Um, but of course, you were my coach. We were working through it, so you're aware of a lot of that. So, uh, but for everybody listening, um, I want to I want to add a little something real quick. This is something that I've noticed, whether it's been me helping people, coaching people, or me being in coaching calls for my own business. And I'm sure you've seen this as well. You were talking about the whole 
in the ship earlier. And I think a lot of business owners will look down there and see that hole and be like, hey, let's figure this out next week. And they just shut the door and they pretend it's not there because you're emotionally invested. You can't, it's so hard for me, the owner, the leader, whatever title you want to assign to it, to see an issue or see a problem and actually want, not necessarily want to address it, but to admit that it's happening because I'm emotionally invested. If the ship goes down, that's on me. Everybody's going to see me. They're going to know I failed. Like it's starting to feel real. And you can go to a very unhealthy place. The thing I like about having a business coach is as soon as you get on, you'll start trying to talk about the things you think are wrong. And the first thing like, what about that big ass hole right there? Are you going to do something about that? (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh And that's the beauty of having another set of eyes that takes a look inside and gets to know your business with you. Um, and I've said it a hundred times. You, I can't, you can't really put a value on having someone with experience and knowledge to guide you. It's uh, anybody listening who doesn't have that person. I'm not saying go out day one and spend big money on coaching, but if you can afford it, get somebody in your corner quickly who can help you. You you, you can't put an um, uh, amount of money uh, on, what you save by having the right people in your corner. Like I know how much I've lost. I, I I know the bad decisions I've made, but through having a coach, the the thing, the decisions that have been made and the, the courses that we've altered and shifted before I ever ran into problems for having that experience very well is probably the reason why I'm still in business today. Yeah. So I think, and, I think the R I think the ROI on coaching has I've had, and I've had bad coaches, and as, as crazy as this sounds, like the ROI on that coaching was still there. I didn't stay with them long. I evolved to a better coach that fit my needs more. But like even a even a not perfect second set of eyes, you still get something. Val- like it's crazy to me how I even think back to that. I have one coach of mine. I'm not going to say his name, but I have one coach of mine who just he wasn't even a good coach. And yet. I don't regret the money that I spent to get what I did get out of that, even if it was just to learn what to never accept from a coach again. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, that's also one of the reasons why you've had as much success as you've had in your life is how you view things and how you deal with things. Like so many people in that same scenario, like this coach was trash. I wasted all this money. I'll never figure it out. I'm just going to go back to doing this other thing instead of being like, okay, well, I spent an amount of money. What data did we get? What can we use? Well, we can at least use this. We know what not to do. Now let's move forward, make sure we don't do any of this. Without doing this, let's find someone else and uh, just apply what you learn. I think we learn in every situation. I don't believe in failure. I believe lessons and blessings. That's it. Um, and I think I think surrounding yourself with the right people, the right coach. But like you said, even the wrong person, at, at times you can learn what not to do. So I think everybody should pay attention to the people around them, the people you're blessed enough to have conversations with every day, you can learn something from everybody always. And I think if you go into any conversation or any relationship, be it a business coach and think you know everything and you have it all figured out, that's the biggest way to not be successful in my opinion. Yeah. Not being teachable anymore is going to kill you faster than anything else. And because the rules change, the rules change, the algorithms change, everything changes on a daily basis. The one thing I didn't expect coming into business was the amount of change that I was going to have to (laughs) quickly adapt to. You know, I mean, some weeks, some weeks it really does feel like you're just in survival mode. And then you have the weeks where you are on top of the world, you can't miss, you're growing, you're planning, you're developing, and then all of a sudden, here comes an audit. Here comes something you didn't see. And 
man, you're right back in the, how do we survive this season? You know, and it's just, I don't, to me, it's exciting. Um, I'm glad we don't have as many rough seasons as we used to. seems like the good ones come around a little more frequently than they used to. And that's the, that's the goal at the end of the day, man. But I want to ask you a little bit, if you don't mind sharing a little bit with us, um, you were telling me at one point, and I I may misquote you, and if I do, correct me, but didn't you tell me at one point you were installing several kitchens a day yourself as an employee? How many? Right. What What was that? I, I remember you telling me the number, and it seemed just crazy to me. Yeah, so I was... So I was a cabinet installer specifically. So I go in and install all the cabinets in the kitchen, bath, bathrooms, butler's pantry, laundry room, anywhere you can find cabinets. I that's I that's what I did. But I would yeah, I would average three or four of those a day, full houses. I would get I would leave my house at four or five o'clock in the morning, come home at eight, eight nine o'clock at night. Um, I was I was addicted to it. I was good at it. I was addicted to it. I was on peace where I was getting paid by the job. I mean, I was like. Dude, I, I I think to this day I'd still go toe to toe with any of these cabinet installers out here and take them. And I haven't installed a kitchen in quite some time. And I'd still <laughs> I'd still walk into every kitchen that I see. I'm still a cabinet guy deep down in my heart. Like we do full interior remodel now, but the first thing I look at in any house still to this day is the cabinetry. It's like the only thing I care about. Yeah, but I mean, if you were doing three, four, you're doing seven hundred a year. Like at, at that point, like you, <laughs> I would assume. You do that many cabinet installs and you can still definitely compete. I bet there are people who've been doing it for a decade, never installed that many. If if based on some of the labor I've seen, I bet there was cabinet installers been out there for 15 years and installed 72 cabinets. 100 percent I um <laughs> you know, as much as I loved it, the reality of the situation was as a subcontractor in any scenario, right? Um there's a glass ceiling to how much money you can make. Your money is determined solely by your time. Mm-hmm. And so even though I loved it, what was required of me physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally to get that done was completely unsustainable. So I love I love reminiscing on that for a couple of minutes, but I also have to remind myself, like, and I will share this, like, my marriage was in shambles. Mm-hmm. Didn't see my kids much. And when I, and I mean, I would come home Friday night late. We'd hang out for, I'd sleep until one or 2 PM Saturday. I was so exhausted. Sleep 14, 15 hours over the weekend just to have enough energy to go back to work. Like what, what hit me about that, that timeline, why I even grew my business. Right. Cause when I, when I, when I quit my last job, I was, intending on going and being a cabinet installer subcontractor. I wasn't intending on growing a business. I was like, I'm not going to do this for this asshole anymore. Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on this one. I'm not going to do this. All right, cool. I'm not going to do this for this asshole anymore. I'm just going to go do it for myself because I'll get paid double for the same work output. And I was just like, I'm going to take a bet on myself. Like, I really believe I'm good enough to go do this directly for the people instead of through this guy. So I went out to be a subcontractor and it was really just like I hired, I always liked working with another person. So I, I hired a person. I always had a two-man team. I was really good at training and directing on that team. So I brought him on. And then I was like, man, like, like we're I'm people are begging me to do more installs. And like we're cap, bro. You can't, there's no more time in the day when you're 6 a.m. to 9, like you're done. And so I was like, all right, let me hire and train one more. Let me hire. And what I got really, really, really good at, my like my epiphany was. I will never, ever 
be able to produce what I want to produce and be the man that I want to be simultaneously. Like I'm going to be the best, most successful, richest cabinet guy in the world and fucking alone. That's what's going to happen. My wife's going to leave. And I was like, I'm too addicted to growing stuff. So I can't just like go backwards now and just install nine to five and like, and subcontracting is kind of tricky. So like, if like you can't really work nine to five and make good money, but you can't really work like eight to six. You got to, it's basically just 15 hours a day. Like that's your, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what you need to do to earn a good, good living doing. You try to make nine to five, um, at least in that that part of the industry. There's definitely some high-level custom people that can work nine to five or 10 to two and make really good money. There's a market there, not my market. I don't like that stuff. <laughs> but I had this uh, I had this epiphany one day. I realized I was incredibly good at explaining really complicated things in a simple way. That's kind of like, that's sort of, and I've gotten that, I've gotten that from many coaching clients too. Like every once in a while, I get a new client. It's like, man, I don't know if you know this, but like, you take what I think is so complex and just like in four words, you make me understand it. Like it's not complex. And I realized that was a skill set of mine. I was training. I was taking people off the street who had zero cabinet install experience. And in 90 days, I had them as lead installers. I was so good at training through the procedure. I was so good at having a procedure. I didn't even know what I was doing. This was not, I was mm-hmm. not the process SOP. I don't know what the hell these words were. I just knew that if you installed cabinets the way that I did it every single day, it would go really fast and get done really well. And I had a system. And if you followed this system, you would be a good cabinet installer. I could pay you good money. What I, as I started to scale it, I, and I started to realize I was really good at this, but I was a terrible business owner. I really wasn't a great leader. I really wasn't good at, I wasn't really good at all these other things. That's when I started learning and realizing what I was doing, right? What I was doing was um, I had SOPs. What I was doing was training. What I was doing was leading. What I was doing was scaling. I just didn't know that at the time. But once I figured that out, I that's when I started like growing my company um, and stopped being a cabinet installer and started being, and, and I, I always explain to people like, you don't go from like technician to CEO. I went from technician to team leader and I own the damn business, but I went from technician to team leader. I went from team leader to like general manager. I went from general manager to sales guy and general manager. I went from that to like little really bad accountant. I went from that to like to business owner. I went from that to CEO, but it was like an eight year process of step by step by step. I didn't go from $200,000 a year in revenue to CEO and $4 million a year in revenue overnight. I went from, I had to, I had to self teach myself how to be a team leader how to be a GM, how to be an ops manager, how to be a this guy, how to be a this guy. I had to I had to sit in every role on the way up in order to get to this, right? Yep. And let me ask you a question. As you were transitioning up the ladder and moving yourself from seat to seat, how much support did you have? What I have always found is in my business, when I decide it's time to make that next step to change what I'm doing, a lot of times it's met with a little bit of animosity, like people don't like to see change. You know what I mean? And so each time, every it's almost every step of the ladder of progression of growth for me has been met with resistance. Not that you can't overcome it, but for people listening to this, I want them to understand sort of the process as you start to scale a business. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I'll start at the end and say not one of the people who was with me in the beginning is still here. So if that if that alone answers the question, 
but I'll give it a little bit more uh, context being I, it was always met with it was always met with resistance. Now, I will say this resistance change is always met with resistance prior to support, regardless of what the change is. When you have an organization operating most of the time, humans just don't like change. It's nothing against you or me or anybody else. But when you when you when you propose change to your team, whether they tell you it or not, deep down, there's a resistance factor. Ah, but I'm comfortable with this. Even if it's not working, I get I'm comfortable in this chaos. I don't want mm-hmm. you to change it because I don't know what that looks like. And I know what this looks like. And I'd rather be slightly miserable and know what to expect than potentially have my entire life changed, but not know what to expect. Mm-hmm. What happens though, starting from that place, when I was a cabinet installer, I hired cabinet installers. I, that's the caliber of employee that I hired. And when I decided I was going to be team leader. Man, those guys were still cabinet installers. So like, okay, like team leader makes sense, but like they didn't have team leader brains. They like, so they're a little bit of resistance. When I wanted to go from team leader to GM, there's a lot more resistance. Man, they don't have GM. But like, I don't, what you ever, you, I ever, anybody who has grown bootstrap from the ground up in their business has heard, what, I don't really know what you do anymore. What yes. do you do? Like, I don't see you anymore. Well, I don't understand what you do anymore. Well, I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to talk about paperwork. I'm going to talk about payroll. Uh, And then you get that look at because they're in their head going, that's like that's like 40 minutes of work a week. Like you can't be on site and do that at the same time. Like so the gap, this is so important. I've learned this so much over the last two years. It took me so long to figure this out, but a gap starts to grow. And so team leader to GM, there's a bigger gap. GM to sales is now I have an interdepartmental gap for my cabinet installers. And some of those guys were my best friends, Kenny. Some of those people I hired were my best friends who had no educations, no futures, no skills, no nothing that I was like, come with me. People are incredibly supportive of you until you start doing better than they are and things start to change. And I, and I don't mean to generalize humans, Because it's not, I don't mean to do it, and it's not everybody, but in the majority of cases, people are incredibly supportive of an underdog because the underdog is still underperforming them. That's right. Love a good underdog story because you kind of suck, and I don't. You you do, so I'm going to root for you. (laughs) Once that underdog becomes a high-performing, top-performing success story, everybody dips. It's not, -hmm. not, now I'm not going to support you anymore because you make me feel bad about myself. Now you make me insecure where when you're the underdog, I feel good about myself because like you can't, you're broke and you're just starting. You know how many of those small business owners were like, yes, like go for it. You got this. Like how many CEOs do we do that for? How many CEOs do you cheer for? How many would the CEO of Apple you ever be like, yeah, man, that's awesome. Like good for you. No, you don't. And I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying like naturally speaking, like most humans don't look up the ladder and go, I support you. That's awesome. Nope. That's a they fact. Think they think, man, like, like there's an anyway. So the gap starts to grow as I'm moving around in these positions, and the reality, and I, I try everything in my power to pull them with me, man. I want to close the gap for them. I want to bring them up. So, so what happens? I start promoting people who shouldn't be promoted into roles they should not have. Yeah. I start making people managers of people who should not be managing people. I start making people salespeople who should not be selling anything to anybody. I start making people in charge of this and that. Because I feel bad because this gap is growing and I'm trying to close the gap by dragging you across this mud and I'm trying, but you don't even want to. 
You don't want to do the work to cross that. You just want to stay. You want me to come back down to you. Mm-hmm. You're not interested in getting up to me. You want me to come back down to you and bring you the spoils of my labor from the other side. I'm not going to, and I can't, but I tried and I tried and I tried and it ruined relationships with people. Yes. Yes. I've, <laughs> I've experienced a lot of that myself. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. And it's, those are the things that people don't understand when they're when they're getting in the business i think the i think the animosity or the resentment comes from if i'm watching you struggle and i'm supporting you but then all of a sudden you get it figured out and you start doing really well as a human being i have to i have to admit one of two things to myself either i'm not as good as you which nobody's ever going to admit that and it's rarely would that actually be the case but that's a lot of times where your where your mentality goes and the second one is just i'm not doing the things that are you do that you're doing to get ahead in life and i'm not willing to admit that either so Mm. most of the time i think that's why the resentment sets in you have to be cheating you can't be doing it the right way if you were or i would be doing it like i would have that success if it were that easy, like he's clearly cheating. He's, he's clearly doing something he shouldn't be doing, you know? And I think that's what starts to grow. And I, and I, that in and of itself is no different than your, than your example of that gap. It's just, you've started to do something that people don't understand. They don't understand how it's happening why it's happening. So the easiest thing to do is not to go do the work to figure it out. So you do it for yourself, but it's easier just to throw shade and, and start to be like, well, he's cutting corners. Um, and you lose people, man. I, I I told Macy, um, here not long ago, within the last two weeks, we were talking and she, she asked me, she was, it's just a normal night. And she said, is everything okay? And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I feel lonely mm-hmm. a lot these days, not from her. We have a great marriage. I have the kids, but like, I don't have a lot of friends that I go to barbecues with when I was a cop. Every day I was invited to watch football games, to go to barbecues, to go out on boats, like all the time. And there was just this brotherhood. There were so many people that wanted to hang out with you. And then you go out and start doing some stuff for yourself and trying to build things. And I don't think it's so much that that I'm any better than people. It's just the things that I focus on every day are being better and improving. How do I get better? And most people don't think that way. So if me and you go to have a conversation, I'm like, hey, man, what have you been up to? And you're like, man, I got this new badass bow. It's almost deer season. What about you? And you're like, listen, I got this idea for this new, you know, and you start running my entrepreneur mouth and instantly like, we're not interested in this shit, man. We just want to drink a beer and talk about bow hunting. You know what I mean? And I, I find myself being sort of not feeling like I fit in in conversation a lot anymore. Um, and it starts to get a little lonely. So to anybody listening to this, the way for me that I get outside of that is through networking events, chamber events, coaching, surrounding myself with people who are pushing to do better. And I hate to say it, I I never feel like I'm upgrading my friends, but I constantly surround myself with people that I would want to hang out with outside of my day to day that I can still, while I'm having a beer, watching TV, watching a football game, still bounce business ideas or talk a tax strategy. Hey man, I heard you bought a new investment property. I'd like to know what that's like, you know, that, like that type stuff. So, but, um, anyway, Sam, I get off on a bit of a tangent, dude. I, I, I appreciate the story on how all that unfolded, but tell me this when, how hard was it to make some of the decisions to go from 
like you had guys I know that were that you were paying for coaching and that kind of stuff. When you start realizing this for everybody listening, once you realize that you're headed in the wrong direction, how do you get the courage? Like what what did Sam Kaufman do to have the courage to go sit down and have some of these hard conversations? Because to this day, that's still one of the things that I struggle with the most is sitting down with people who are friends that I care about and letting them know I made a mistake. Maybe you're not best for this role or maybe you're best over here. You know, how do, how do you walk me through sort of how you handle that? If you don't mind. There's, there's a few things that I've realized and this, a lot of this really over the last 12 months specifically, one of the things that's been become starkly aware to, to me, they already know. And so like one of the, one of the biggest realizations I've had is like, they already know what you're thinking. Because your behavior has changed. Your demeanor has changed. Your output has changed. Your communication has changed. Whether you believe it or not, what is happening internally is being is being squeezed as juice externally. And they are tasting that juice. And so what we the lie we tell ourselves is it's gonna hurt them if I tell them. And if it hurts them and they leave, I'm gonna be screwed, right? So, like the 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 other side is how selfish it really is to avoid the hard conversation. Because the truth is, I yeah, I want to protect you. I really want to protect me. Because if I don't protect you from yourself, you might quit. And if you quit, what am I gonna do? I need you to do this thing. And a lot of people talk about I don't want to have hard conversations because I'm just too nice. You don't want to have hard conversations because you're too self-centered. You are not willing to do the work that may be required on the other side of the con. It is not the conversation that is bothering me. It is the fear of the work that may be required on the other side. That's what scares me. What scares me is that I am incredibly comfortable with this low performer in this role. And I don't want to develop a new relationship with a new one. I don't want to hire a new manager. I don't want to have to do this for three more years. I don't want to have to watch him walk away and never talk to me again, like the eight other employees, 12, 25 other employees that hate me now and send me random hate DMs. I don't want to go through this again. But what's easy to say is, well, I don't like having hard conversations because I, I just really nice and I care about my team. Yeah, but if like, all right, so if I'm a parent, the only caring thing I do for my kid is be honest. I would never lie to my child and tell them something about them is not true to protect them from themselves. And so if these people are actually my friends, if they are actually my teammates, if they are actually people that I love, I'm actually a kind person. And I eliminated nice from my mindset this year completely. I have no interest in being nice anymore. I will never introduce myself as a nice guy. I will never think of myself as a nice guy. I will be a kind man but I will be kind with honesty. I will never be nice again. Nice killed me. Nice is fake. Nice is an allure. Nice is a mask. Kindness is genuine and real and authentic and true. And so how I walk into the conversation, the other thing, right? So A, they already know. They already know something's off. B, the realization that I'm not avoiding this for them. That is a lie that I had became accustomed to telling myself. And C, I will not feel better until this is done. Every day that I sit thinking, I need to have this conversation. You ever have to have a hard conversation with somebody and every little fucking thing they do pisses you off now? Yes. You don't even know if it's wrong. You just see the name. You see the email come through. You see the Slack message. You see the 10. You're like, oh, I hate this guy. Everything he does is stupid. He's always pissing my cup. Oh, I just, I really, I got to get rid of him. 
Because then we start to hype ourselves up to like, I just have to fire him. We would rather hype ourselves up to fire somebody than just talk to them about their behavior. Yes. I'm going to add something. All right. That feeling of seeing every little thing and it bothering you, when that happens to me, typically is not after a conversation, but it's because I haven't had the conversation. And That's it's what continuing I'm saying. to build inside of me. That's what I'm saying. My, yes. I, I may have misunderstood. I thought you meant you have the conversation and then you start no. to notice things. What typically happens for me and everybody listening needs to understand this. Typically when I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm probably going to lose a friend. I'm probably going to lose a manager. I'm probably going to lose all these things. I got all these horrible scenarios in my head. And I go sit down and I'm like, man, we need to have a conversation. And typically the first response is like, good, because I feel like something's off and like something is off and you start to talk. And I've just been as a leader, as an owner, whatever you want to call it, have been doing not the best with communicating what I expect or and 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 you have somebody who's starting to come up short on expectations that I didn't clearly set to begin with. And they can sense, like you said, that I'm getting frustrated and this talk is coming and the whole time they're so scared now to make a decision because they don't know where they're messing up. They don't know where they're going wrong. And once you finally just sit down and have the conversation, more times than not, the employee is way more productive. The relationship is way better. And you just look at each other and be like, I'm glad we sat and had that conversation. Now, there are times where what you thought was happening or what you were worried about is actually an issue. And, and it does end up being a termination. But I have found that even in those moments, the conversations are a lot easier to have. Once you're just like, look, sit down, we need to talk. And you get into it. And like you said, a lot of times they are aware. Or I've had people just look at me and be like, yeah, I've. I backslid, I'm back using, and I know I'm not dependable. I'm sorry. And you have to let someone go for for like for like that, for example. But not having the conversation is without a doubt the most detrimental thing that you can do. Well, it is. And, and the other thing that I you asked, you know, the original question was like, how do you get the courage to do this? And truthfully, Kenny, I I would say 99 out of 100 of these instances, I didn't feel courageous. I, my, my hand was shaking and I, and, and I was lightheaded and I was anxious and I couldn't catch my breath driving to my office. I, I would literally tell you, I think nine out of 10 of these instances this year, man, I didn't feel any courage at all. I felt weak and scared and sad. And I thought about getting out of the meeting and could I move it or push it or cancel it? And I'm just sharing that because so many people, I, for so long in, in my life, I, I thought that I would get to a place and I probably will with enough time, but like I, I had it backwards where like, I'm supposed to feel courageous, confident and ready for this. Then I'll do it. And it's the polar opposite. It's nobody. The world does not care if I'm courage, confident and ready for it. It just has to happen. And unfortunately I signed up voluntarily for this leadership role by starting this business and hiring these people. And so, like, I don't get to wait until I feel courageous and confident and charismatic. I'm driving to my office. I'm telling you more this year than I have ever driving to my office with a shaky hand on my steering wheel, feeling like I'm going to have a panic attack, scared out of my mind, scared this dude's going to hit me or scream at me or, or and there's a client in the office. I'm thinking all of these terrible. I had one. I'm like, I'm like, well, if he hits me, like, I know I could take him because I'm like way tougher than this dude. Like, this is crazy <laughs> shit going on in my head driving to my office. Yeah. And like none of the worst case scenarios have happened, but like, I'll share, like I had to make a termination this year 
and it was one of my one of my top more top employees um spouse dude i had to let go of the spouse of one of my employees and i dude one of the things I, and you said this which is why it sparked this story but one of the healthiest things that i've learned how to do this year was say sit down with somebody and say I made a lot of mistakes in this situation, but unfortunately, I still have to let you go. Where my entire mentality for a very long time in leadership was for the duration that I made mistakes, I there was I couldn't hold them accountable till I fixed my shit. It's just not true. I will never not be a human being. Therefore, those conversations will always be, hey, I made a lot of mistakes in this relationship. You are still not a good fit for this company. And that was like a huge game changer for me. It was just like, dude, it doesn't matter if it's their fault or my fault. But if I come to the realization that their employment does not work, I have to let them go. Even if it's completely my fault. I screwed up their training. I screwed up their onboarding. I was the toxic one. I I screwed everything up. But like we're too far gone. I have to be a man and sit down and say, hey, I screwed up so much of this. But like we got to part ways. It's just not going to work now. And I had to do that with the spouse of a a top employee understanding the risk that like he might quit. She might not ever talk to me. Like I knew the risks, but I also, I had come too far this year. This was my last one. So, so I'll share this real quick for the listeners. When we made, we did not go from we're about to go under to net profit uh, overnight. We staged our decision-making so that we didn't uproot company process for our clients. So in order to keep some semblance of smoothness in our production process, so our clients did not have a diminished experience, we laid out a three-month, month one, these are the things we are getting rid of, terminating, and eliminating. Month two, these are the things, people, expenses we are planning to eliminate and get rid of. Month three, these are the things, if necessary, if by month three, we do not have a profitable PL, these are the last resort lowest barrier, lowest expense, but they'll have to go things that we'll take care of in month three. This particular person was my last one. The role, it was on the list, but I was doing everything in my power not to have to get to that one. And I got there and I said to myself, man, I've, I've come too far. I've come too far to bitch out now, dude. Like I had like David Goggins in my head. Like, like, like that was my hundred mile marathon. Like Mm -hmm. I'm never going to run a hundred mile race. That was my hundred mile race. And I was on mile 99 and I was, I was like going to quit. I was like, I don't, I don't want to finish. I don't want to finish. I don't want to finish. Cause like (laughs) I might die and I might fall and I might stumble. And I'm, and I was on mile 99 and I said, dude, I, I have to do like, God has done so much to prove to me that if I continue to just do what's right and do not allow my own self-centered fears and egos to prevent me from being a good leader, He will continue to take care of my family. He will continue to take care of me. He will continue to take care of my people, my clients. I just have to show up for this one more thing, man. Like you had, he, like, you know, he's got you, you got to do it. And I did it. Um, And some of that, the other employee did not quit and I'm grateful for that, but all the other stuff I was afraid of did happen. There was, there, there is relationship different. There are problems. There, there are things that have happened. Like, that all of the other things I was worried about did come to fruition. And you know what? I'm still okay. Mm-hmm. Still okay. Other people's feelings are not my responsibility. My company's yeah. my responsibility. And so you talk about $70,000 a month in expenses. I literally had to go into survival mode in my head and say, 
all these things I'm afraid of or feed my fucking family? All these things I'm scared of, or am I going to put food on the table? I had to go to like primal instinct and be like, if I didn't, if I didn't make my thinking like that for a few months, I don't believe I would have been able to evolve to, to where I'm at right now, which I don't now I don't need to quite go that dark with it mm-hmm. to make the call. But for a few months there, I had to look at some things and some people and some feelings and some and, and go, yeah, it's you or them. And it ain't it ain't it ain't them. I'll see you later. Like I just had to go into that place. Right. Yep, I get it, man. It's and they they are tough conversations to have, <laughs> which I'm glad for this show specifically that we got on the topic and talked about it today, man. Because I know there are going to be a lot of people listening who are dealing with that kind of stuff. But time's about up, man. Thank you so much for coming on here, sharing your story, sharing your lessons, sharing your wisdom. I know it'll be impactful for anybody who takes the opportunity to listen to it. It's going to be in the description for the episode, but take a moment and tell people how they can find you, how they can follow your stuff. And if they would like to reach out to you for assistance, how they can do that. Yeah. So um, social handles are at Sam Kaufman official on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So across the board, I made that real simple. Uh, I host a podcast called never stop building. Um, that's on all platforms. And if you want to reach out to me, you can shoot me an email at info at samkaufmanofficial.com. You can also buy the book there. Awesome, man. Great book. I've read the book. And then just so you know, your podcast, even after I hired Mike Claudio came on, I was doing coaching. I had never listened to podcasts ever in my life. I'd heard people talk about them for years. When I saw you put yours out, I was like, I'm going to take it. I'm going to listen to this and I listened to it. And then uh, then I got to listening to Adam McChesney a little bit. And now I, there are probably 40, 50 different podcasts. That's all I do is audible and podcasts. I don't even listen to music anymore, even when I'm at the gym most of the time. So uh, now you have one. And you I have now, one. I, now I have one and I have a lot of fun doing it. Like I said, this this is one of the most fun things I've ever done. Um, but yours was actually the first one that I ever listened to. I wanted to share that with you before we got off of here. That's awesome. I'll take that. Awesome, man. Absolutely. Have a good day, Sam. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing, man. We'll see. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Avoid the Confusion. We hope you found it inspiring and informative. Remember, success is not just about the talent. It's about mental toughness, perseverance, and the willingness to learn and grow. Make sure that if you found value in this episode today, that you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. If you truly found it valuable, share it with your friends and family so they too don't miss episodes moving forward. And then don't forget to join us again next week as we bring you another top performer in their respective field and explore what it takes to be the best version of you for you. Thanks again for listening to Avoid the Confusion. We'll see you next week.